Hey guys, welcome to Clever Free Zone. Today's guest is Christopher Moyer. He is a lawyer in New York State, notoriously one of the hardest bars in the country. He's an NYU law grad. His background is in entertainment law, but he's done some interesting work outside of that as well. His wife is an artist and in legal tech. Um, he'll tell you about that, but it was her influence that led him to NFTs. He's been in the crypto space for about five years. Today's conversation will, as always, uh, be clever free. We're going to try and share some knowledge about uh, music rights, about music NFTs. And uh, well, I won't spoil it all. But Christopher, thank you for coming on and welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. So one of the things that interested me about you is NFTs are a really young space. And I don't think, I think crypto, I'm interested to see how the law shapes up or how I can mm. even how the law can be relevant to crypto. And I think mm. partly because it's decentralized, it raises, I'm sure, all kinds of interesting questions that Huge. challenge, you know, is it even containable within within uh, a legal framework in some respect? Mm. Um, so what got you into crypto generally? And then we'll sort of get into, into NFTs. Ah, so, um, so crypto. So my... I was so I started I started to work in blockchain and crypto about four or five years ago and uh, my wife um, when the pandemic started in February March or so um, we were just trying to find ways to stay kind of busy so I, I, I was aware of NFTs and I was kind of interested and I was into DeFi and stuff and that kind of thing. And I found it really fascinating, but then she had all of this art and music and we had to put it out. So uh, she had 300 songs on her hard drive. <clears throat> Pardon me. It was unbelievable. So we started to put it out on Spotify and other things. And this platform kind of grew out of it. And uh, she said, you know, like once she realized how insane the NFT space was and how kind of open and, unstructured it was because she'd worked in the law firm for so long she knew that the artists were going to really 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 come up short because um there's just no structure it's just you know it's it's you know you could do a drop and you could end up making twenty thousand dollars less than you should you know or 40 or 100 you know there's no rule book and those, that sort of thing. So that pulled me into the NFT space. And then once I got into it, I thought, oh, wow, the, you know, there are, there's an infinite number of legal questions and issues and structures and things that are needed that aren't here. Yeah. What are some of those, those questions and structures? Because I, and what mm. I'm gonna say is, I know people like Sasha Bailey, who, who is a curator and very knowledgeable about art, has made the true observation that without galleries, we don't have intermediaries. Mm. And that is great for artists, right? Because I think that and the fact that people who do 3D, 4D are graphic designers who historically have just been stuck trying to like work for ad agencies, but are artists are now able to be seen as artists, right? Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. what's great. Some of the things that are great about the space, but you're right. It is a wild west. So what are some of the legal issues and pitfalls mm -hmm. that artists maybe aren't aware of where they're coming up 20 grand short potentially? Mm, um, that's the, well, one of the guys, um, uh, Coldy, who's an artist, he created the Coldy method and that was one of his responses. Yeah. What is the Coldy method? 
Mm, the, yeah, the Coley method is a way, and he describes, he, he, and I can connect you with him. He, he'd be a great person to talk to. Right. Um, and he's so respected in the space. And so he did the drop with Ferocious, uh, that famous drop at the end of last year, uh, mm-hmm. Coley. And the Coley method, frankly, is just um, a, a better way based on his experience for artists to get the proper amount for it. And there are different ways that he does it, but the way that my understanding is that they kind of wait 24 hours. And, you know, for, for guys, for people like my wife and people at the lower end of the scale, it doesn't make any sense, but for someone like a ferocious or a people, you know, some of these guys are very busy. Some of them are in different time zones. It's global. So by waiting, it gives them time to bid. And sometimes there are cases where artists have lost out on money because the bid closed too soon. Very big problem. And not in the way in Christie's, you know, there's always another buyer. No, I mean, there was error. Mm. So, you know, it's so small that no one is getting in trouble but behind the scenes it's happening and we certainly get calls about it at the law firm. It's tough, you know, everyone's figuring it out together. So with his methodology, it kind of works around a lot of the issues with the way that blockchains work, the way that Ethereum works, you know, there's just an inherent delay in the way that the blockchain works and that can harm the value of your art. And and that's a butchered (laughs) explanation. He offers a much better one, but what he found over time was that you can get better value by using this methodology. It's the only one that I know that most people use. And even the platforms will say, we use the Colby, you know, the Colby method to, you know, so it's, it's, I guess if there's any, if there is a standard, I guess it's the standard. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. But something I would look for if I were an artist. Yeah. What are the, to you, because you were talking about you, you see some serious issues, some problems. What are they? Uh, so the cold mm. solves a problem. What are some issues mm-hmm. that solving? Um, I think one of the big problems that they'll need to solve is just the theft of other artists' work. You know, it's a big problem. I mean, they're stealing a lot of work. And, um, you know, even some of the stuff where um i've you know retweeted it accidentally and i go back and i'm like wait i don't know that that guy has the license i you know you just assume that someone would get the license to the new york knicks mm-hmm. or you know or to um leonardo dicaprio but they're basically just taking the image and they glitch it or they do something and then they put it out and shepherd fairly he did that with the hope thing with obama where yeah. he took a new york times photo and that's a famous case. And no, that, I mean, it doesn't work. I mean, you really, when you take someone else's intellectual property, I don't know, I, you know, I, I'm just not a big fan of that as an IP lawyer. I know how hard artists work. So I'm not crazy about that. Yeah. I just wish that some of the artists were a little more sensitive about other people's work. So I just had this great, this great conversation with uh, Eric Rhodes over at Second Realm. Mm-hmm. And the part yes. of trash art, which obviously goes back to Robness's whole taking the the giant trash can um, and then, you know, getting kicked off platforms for it. And then everybody just minting loads of these trash cans that were just basically tweaked, you know, slightly using sort of a filter, but mm-hmm. from Home Depot originally. And it's an interesting conversation, copyright, copy left, and you're clearly copyright. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think t- 
to me, what I think many people listening to this will say is, but isn't it okay for somebody to continuously comment on, mm-hmm. on a piece of art? And it sounds mm-hmm. like what you would say is, yeah, but when you're then drawing revenue from it, you're mm-hmm. stepping off from someone else's labor. And then, of course, what right. that presents is, well, what's, wh- where do you set that line? Where's the distinction? Mm. Um, you know, and I, I, would, I would ask you, you're obviously very savvy with internet. You clearly have seen a lot of memes. And, and one thing that interested me about this space is I think memes are a form of art, albeit very primitive, and they're kind of the first, the internet's first native language, like a pictographic language, like hieroglyphs. And part of that is that an image will pop up on the internet, go viral, have a context, and then someone will tweak it and it will become funny and it becomes shorthand for an idea. Mm. And, and I think that the same thing happens when you're talking, you know, with Eric at Second Realm, those, these, you know, controversial uh, trash cans, they're a copyright violation. So people start endlessly minting them mm-hmm. and there's a context now and it has become, I believe, art. So mm. I've said That's a lot, there, but what are the oh. things that jumped out at you that you would, you would say about the way meme culture and art and, and, and copyright images intersect each other? That's a really good question. Um, you know, I hadn't quite thought of it that way. Um, I think I really started more from the artist's pain. You know, the artists that get copied are so hurt. And that doesn't mean that they're right. But I just, being married to an artist, um, I just thought that as artists, there just needed to be kind of a respect. I agree. I, I felt that way. I feel that way even in the music business when people sample someone else's work. And when they don't say, hey, I'm sampling your stuff, you know, they may not own the rights to it. Um, But I'm kind of weird that way. I'm old school. I just think if you sample James Brown's music, you can call the guy and say, hey, man, you know, is that offensive to you? You know, and some people disagree, even in music. They're like, hey, I paid the fee. I sampled it. If I want to use it for a Cardi B song and it's called WAP, you know, (laughs) to hell with you if you're a Christian, you know, and that's really offensive to you. And it really is painful because you wrote it after your mom died, you know, like mm-hmm. I don't care. And um, they don't have to, you know, so I come at less ironically of a legal pres- position and a financial one than as a more of a humanist. And I'm also Buddhist. So it's like, why intentionally do something that harms a person? I just like to avoid human suffering and to me, it's just clearly suffering. You know, I don't know the context of why you wrote it or why you did it. It could have been because your three-year-old died. I'm copying this work and I'm putting, you know, Cardi B's picture on it with her tongue stuck out. Mm. And it's funny to me, but it's so painful. And it, it, I changed my mind after Weird Al Yankovic uh, did this parody of a Coolio song. Yeah. And Coolio wanted to fight him. And I thought, that's so immature. But then he was explaining that the song, he had friends that had died. And I thought, wow, I never thought of that. You know, it never occurred to me. the con- I never thought of the context of the art until that debate. And Weird Al Yankovic has every right to parody something. But, you know, he apologized to the guy and he felt so badly. And mm-hmm. after that, he always asked before he did a parody. And if the person mm-hmm. said no, he never did it. And that changed my life. Yeah, that's a great anecdote. I think it, I know what you mean. Is sort of um, in, in the style of Buddhism. There's 
this is this idea of a cone, which is mm-hmm. something that gives you a glimpse of basically enlightenment. And oh so, wow, I hadn't heard of it. Yeah. Oh well, it's like um, oh, that's if a tree falls in the forest, doesn't make a sound, right? And it's just mm-hmm. it stops the brain. But I think sometimes we have stories that illuminate for us. In that weird Al story, you're right. When you when you take it back to somebody who I think you know you can you can trust the word of weird Al Yankovic and you can believe Coolio mm-hmm. that humility. And I think maybe that's the thing you're talking about is the humility, uh, mm-hmm. having reverence for other people's you know creativity and what something means to them. It's such a pure place of your humanity. Like my wife, like we have four kids. She's this legal exec. Like people try to cheat us out of money, you know, like she has a whole life apart from art. And when she creates art, oh man, she's a better mom. Yeah. I don't want to get emotional. You know, I love her so much. She's a better wife. And, uh, you know, I just, I just couldn't do that to someone, man. You know, like, you know, my mom lost my sister. Like, people put so much pain into their art, man. I mean, like I know things that she's put into her art and to just do that and to just put a Pepe over it, you know, that could be so painful, you know? So that's why I avoid it. I, no, legally, of course. I mean, I've had to do it for people and I don't do it anymore. I just, you know, I'm good, man. You know, if you want to do it, there are lawyers that'll do that work for you. And um, who would defend your right to, to, yeah, to steal somebody else, not steal. I, I don't have a right to say that, but to use it any way you want to, you paid your money and you deserve it. You know, you bought it. Yes. You know. Yes. <laughs> it's yours. Yeah. You know, but there are a lot of things you can buy with money um, that I don't buy with money. What, speaking of money and something you said yeah. really interested me that I think, again, is hopefully can educate the NFT mm-hmm. artists who are out there who, again, as, as we've touched on, are probably very new to being mm-hmm. artists. I mean, so many people right now are saying, this space has changed my life. I'm, I'm actually making a living off of art. Mm-hmm. You were expressing concern. You were saying, you know, people need to know the difference between, I think you were saying, owning a copyright on something and owning the royalties on it, right? Yes. A little bit about that in a way that you think will be, you know, educated for people who need to know. One hundred percent. The big thing is that I think most people will say, "I want to own my stuff." Right? I own my music. I own this movie. But the ownership is rarely where the value is. So if you think of like, I always use this example of Spotify. They don't own the music. And Spotify is worth, I I looked it up. I wrote a tweet, I'll find it. But they're worth one and a half times any of the publishers, the music publishers. So if you take Warner Chappelle and let's say, I'm just making this up. Let's say they're worth 10 billion. Mm -hmm. Then Spotify is worth 15. Yeah. So how is that possible? If Warner Chappelle owns, thank you. Right. I don't own the building, but I'm worth more than all of the buildings that I'm in. Yeah. I don't own the cars, but Uber's worth, right? I could go on and on. <laughs> I don't own the homes, but Airbnb. So Spotify is worth more than the people that own the copyrights. So that's not my opinion. That's market cap. So then very smart people, theoretically, are saying that Spotify's stuff is worth more than Warner Chappelle or Sony ATV's stuff. Mm-hmm. So Netflix is worth more. Right, we could go down the line. So how is it that the company now Netflix is Netflix studios, but in the past they just licensed work. 
Mm-hmm. So how did they build that valuation? It doesn't make sense by the model of ownership is everything. Mm-hmm. It's not true. The truth is that if you look at the rise of like that publicly traded company, H-I-P-G-N-O-S-I-S, Hypnosis, UK-based company, UK stock exchange, worth billions of dollars. They're buying the royalty, the future royalties of music. They don't want to own the music. They want the royalties and they package them. They bundle them. I don't know. They Usually they bundle them up with mortgage payments or mortgage securities and they resell them. Wow. Yeah. So uh, the mortgage crisis, that's how many of the lawyers, many, many of us found out that they were being bundled. You know, we didn't know that. At least I didn't. Um, so Mariah Carey, um, she has All I Want for Christmas is You. Yeah. Killer. Right? Killer all-time bestseller song. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That song brings in royalties like, I mean, it, 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 it's, it's like perfect every Christmas. It's the number one song this last Christmas. In 2020, it was the number one song, right, at Christmas. Unbelievable. So it's unbelievable. That song will always bring in the same money. Now, if the Capitol had been stormed two weeks before Christmas, that song would have sold the same thing. If Bitcoin had gone to $100,000, right? If all of the forests on the West Coast burned down, like that song will sell the same damn near, unless the Martians come from the other side of the moon mm-hmm. <laughs> or whatever and attack Earth, it's going to sell the same amount. Yes. Royalty payments are very, very, very consistent. When you take those payments and you bundle them with other consistent things like mortgage payments, insurance payments, now you understand why Warren Buffett had Geico, mm-hmm. right? Steady insurance, fiat, faucet. You can buy Coca-Cola. You can buy anything. So that fiat faucet is where I would say artists should focus. So if I were an artist, I would build some kind of DAO or collective. Here's a great DAO. If I were like a sex worker, there's never going to be, come on, like there's never going to be a platform that's going to be comfortable with sex workers, and there's a lot of art out there from sex workers. Um, they need a DAO. They're going to have to build it. You know, they're going to have to build that. And if you put the money from their royalties into some kind of vault fund thingy, then you're a publisher. You're basically Warner. You're basically Sony ATV. When that starts growing and you tokenize it, I could go on and on, but you see where I'm going with it. I can't do that as a music artist. Like if I'm a publisher, I can't really take my publishing with other music publishers, publishers and put it together that way. If I'm Pharrell and I want to work with um, Timbaland in music, or if I'm someone else and I want to work, I have the copyrights, but I can't tokenize that. I would have to do a reproduction of that song, or I'd have to take a photo of it and make the photo of that art digital. And then I could tokenize that digital copy or I would have to do some kind of thing that was not the thing, a synthetic thing of the thing. With this, it's native. So because it's native, the dynamics and the tokenomics are totally different. And it becomes the difference between a vinyl LP and you know Napster. That's where we're going. We're moving from the, the, the canvas to Napster, 
then all the dynamics are going to be insane and bizarre. So if you, but if, but if you look at blocking and tackling the basics, it's always going to come down to royalty payments. Either you're increasing it or you're finding more avenues to create more royalty payments, or you're going to have people pay more or people are going to pay by the month, but somehow, some way it's going to be about royalty payments, not as much about ownership. No, go back for me and for listeners. Yeah, and sure. You're making the point about, you know, Pharrell and Timberlin, uh, and you were saying he can't tokenize based on publishing. But right. can. could you explain what publishing allows somebody to do? Mm. Mm-hmm. Publishing is amazing. So first of all, in publishing and music publishing specifically, there are two rights. So you have the writer share and the publisher share. And I won't get all into the technical parts of it, but you already start off with two royalty streams, you know, um, with any song. And then you start to break it down, break it down, break it down. So you have all of these different streams. So there's one stream uh, if the song is played on the radio. There's a different stream if the song is played on Spotify. There's a, you know, and it goes, there's a, there's a stream if it's played in a movie. There's a stream if it's played in a play. You know, there's a stream if it's on a t-shirt. You know, these are all different revenue streams that are all independent. And they all can be sold. They all can be borrowed against. You can buy stock against it. You can buy all of that. So the problem with publishing is you had to go to a market maker, if you will. You had to go to a publishing company. If you had publishing and they were, if you remember the commercials, people in the U.S. will know these commercials. And they have these people that will buy your lottery earnings. You know, they basically factor. So I don't know, there's these songs, you know, 877 cash now or whatever, you know, and it's like, do you need the money now? Call this number. We'll give you 60% of what your lottery winnings are worth. Mm-hmm. That's what publishers do. So they give you a hundred thousand upfront and they collect your royalty payments from that revenue stream. Artists couldn't do that. Now you have royalty streams. That's why the Winklevoss twins are here. That's why they're all here. So you're starting to tokenize things that couldn't be tokenized before. There was just no way to tokenize publishing before, natively. God. But an audio NFT, like the one that we did with Vandal, it was really native. It was super easy. He put it in his mint based store. It's all on the chain. We, we have a perfect copy of the audit. We know exactly when it gets sold. We know who it was sold to, how much it was sold for. None of that exists in publishing. So there are these black boxes that won't exist anymore. So the majority, a lot of the money goes. So what happens is when you don't get your money from publishing, for example, your, your royalties, they go into what's called the black box at ASCAP and BMI. I'm not making this up. And then the biggest artists in the world, how unfair is this? Get all the money from that black box. It's done proportionally. So Justin Bieber and Taylor Swift or whoever get all of them, and Ariana Grande get like 50% of the money. Wow. Like money from guys like you and I, like tiny artists. So It's like the the monopoly money of like, there you go. And and it just goes to the biggest players in the game. It's just, it's, it's a winner take all thing and it constantly becomes winner take all. And if you don't remove yourself from that royalty payment pyramid that's being created, in my opinion, as an artist, you're going to be out of the money, just like artists in the 50s and 60s that didn't get it. You're going to so, be out of the money. So, so 
and there are so many things I want to talk about uh, regarding this because I mean I think this oh, sure. many people. I want to make sure everyone's following though. So someone writes a song. They're now there's the publishing rights, and then there's the songwriter rights, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The publisher in this case would be the record label and mm-hmm. all the market. It could be right. Um, and so they now have royalties in per- perpetuity unless they sell them, and those royalties are across any channel. It could be like you say on a T-shirt. It's obviously on the radio. It's on Spotify, but it's also separately right. on Apple Music separately. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And then the person who wrote the song, unless they sell those, which many mm-hmm. artists have done, they also right. own those those uh, royalties. Mm-hmm. So what tokenization does is it allows people to essentially keep track of this in great, right. in perfect granularity. Instead of being Elvis, who his manager at one point, and this is a bit of a not perfect example, but Colonel Tom Parker was his manager. He at one point was taking fifty percent of Elvis's earnings. You can imagine, Super common. absolutely, you can imagine you know the, the the theft that has gone on for artists who. I mean, I remember somebody said of Dr. Dre in an interview. They said Dre is a pure artist. He's not about business in the mm-hmm. sense that it's not what he wants to think about. Now he's obviously done very well, but a mm-hmm. lot of artists are that way. And you're saying tokenization is perfect visibility and granularity. Is that correct? Right. So on that side, I'll give you an example. I have never, and I've been a lawyer over 20 years, to date, personally, I, Christopher, have never spoken to a lawyer who didn't audit of a record label, or I'll, be, I'll do one better. I've never spoken to an, a, friend, a forensic accountant who has not found money missing when they audited a record label. I'll say that again. I've never heard of anyone who didn't find money missing every single time. So they're always taking more than they should. So if you eliminated that, I don't know how much artists would get paid, but it would be a significant pay raise. Just getting what you earned would be a game changer for the whole industry. I'll start. I could leave it there. Yeah. Like no one's getting paid what they deserve. And so when you make the analogy to something I think most of our listeners will, will remember or at least know about to a vinyl world where it's like mm-hmm. music is a tangible thing and even CDs and you say, mm-hmm. this is the Napster moment. You mean like it's just going to be incomparable leap forward. Yeah. No, no, nothing, not even similar. Yeah. It's just not similar because there's so many things that you can think of off the top of your head. Like, uh, again, uh, 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 Dow records, like they're putting together music styles, um, the social tokens. Um, if you take what Ryan Leslie did with, uh, his super fans as a musician, um, uh, or, 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 or what Ashton Kutcher is doing with the super phone thing that he's doing where you call this text message and you're pulled in. Imagine if, now, um, when you call that text message, you're sent some type of wallet or some kind of link, and then you go into the wallet, and the wallet's, you know, you could see how they kind of haven't worked out the friction points and mm-hmm. the pain points, but the architecture is all there. And I see people that have already built working systems. Uh, Malik, the guys at Malik Dow, they've built systems, um, and they work. And they work, you know, they're working. No, they, they may not have the adoption rate that you'd like, but, you know, the technology works. So 
if you apply that and imagine, just imagine getting paid everything that you're owed and your super fans can uh, get a token, a governance token that allows them to do certain things and, and, and you know, yes. it's such an obvious yes. improvement and it's all native within that token. Yes. You know, and, how would you do that now? And I mean, it's if, impossible. Do you see, and I'm pushing up against that. I always want to avoid having overly technical conversations, but would sure. this necessarily be in some way going back to Ethereum or do you see this being on other types of uh, other tokens? Uh, how do you see this? With you know, I think, I think the biggest problem with NFTs and Ethereum is let's just go 10 and 50 X. Okay, so there are people paying $50 US right now to upload their art. Like, I'm not making that up. That's no exaggeration. Is, right now, we're recording this kind of mid to late January. It's the 20th. Yeah. And gas prices have been extortionate. It, it was a serious problem. It is. Right. Yeah. So I would say, let's say 30 to 50 bucks easily. Okay, so there's your record label, right? Like, the cost of uploading your art. Like there's a perfect example of where someone's going to step in. Ethereum right now today, we're mid January. It's uh, at fourteen hundred. I'll just say thirteen hundred. Mm -hmm. Right. I'll just say thirteen hundred. Um, okay, thirteen thousand. Gas fees are ten x. Three hundred bucks. Yeah. Yeah. Per painting. Yeah. Three hundred bucks per song. Yeah. You show me a musician right now other than Lil Nas X and Justin Bieber yeah. getting back 300 bucks per song yeah, yeah on yeah. Spotify or whatever. Like, I don't care how great your fans are. A lot of songs go out. You're not getting back 300 bucks. Yeah. Okay. Let's go 20 X. What happens? I, I'm not saying it'll grow linearly, but it's going to grow. Yes. Yeah. I yeah. mean, so what happens if it's at a thousand, yeah. you're going to need some kind of go between or a label or a gallerist or something who will say, okay, I will pay to upload your, your, your stuff. That's your new record label. That's your new art gallery owner. Like who can, at 50 bucks, a lot of artists are out of the market now. Yeah. A lot of those cards that were on Rarible don't make economic sense. A lot of the artwork that was on Rarible. Now, Rarible doesn't do that, but I'm just saying a lot of the stuff on OpenSea, economically at 100 bucks, how much art makes sense? Yeah, absolutely. Well, then that, that kind of brings me uh, full circle to another area I'd like your opinion on, which is you've talked about the, the emergence of gatekeepers within what is meant to be a decentralized kind of wallless ecosystem. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you've, you know, you made the point to me earlier uh, before we started recording that you see a lot of artists on Twitter, as I think we all do, expressing mm -hmm. heartbreak. They have not been oh. one of the, you know, sort of one of the prestigious platforms. And, yeah. and you had some really interesting commentaries about the potential downfalls of having these de facto gatekeepers. Um, yeah, I, 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 I'm not a fan of it. Um, I, I at least would like, I, I would like for these spaces to have some kind of, I don't know. I mean, it's crypto, right? So it should be different. And I get that there are gatekeepers in Hollywood. I get that there are gatekeepers in, um, in the music business. But why do we have to have gatekeepers in this space? I, I, and the thing is that um, 
I think some of them do a really good job. Like Ephemera does a really good job. Like my wife is there and, and, and she's a photographer and stuff. And, and she really likes Ephemera um, and they really, really get it. And they're just focused on um, lens work. That's what they do. And, and they really like, it's great. But you know, some of the other platforms, some of the people that are rejected don't make sense. Some of the people that are accepted, I, I, I'm not saying that they should agree with me. Mm-hmm. You know, I get MoMA. I get the Met, I get the High Museum of Art, I get the Louvre, I get their philosophy, I get their curation perspective. I don't get their curation perspectives. I don't get their point of view. I don't get their artistic point of view. You know, um, and I don't mean super rare, known origin, any of them specifically. I'm just saying, let us know. Like, what is your point of view? Do you support LGBTQ plus whatever? You know, are you in that space where you're for African-American, Latino, uh, indigenous art, you know, then I'm not saying you have to pick a genre, but just why are people being rejected? Is it because you have too much glitch? Um, is it because you have too many, um, I don't know, straight white men, you know, and you just want to have diversity, you know, whatever. I'm cool with all of it, <laughs> but you know, why this art, you know, I'm just curious because the artist definitely on the other side, again, human suffering. I mean, I've seen people's tweets where they were honestly, saying that they were damn near suicidal. And I'm not kidding. Like, you can look around. Like, some of these guys are deeply depressed. Yes. Yeah. And I think if they understood it, they could accept it. You know, what I thought interesting is, uh, is Vensa. I was talking to him, and he made the observation that, well, there are a couple of things. One, there are copyrights. So, so there are people who aren't, they're, they're, they're not hurting copyright. They're not necessarily breaking copyright. But you have people who would love to flood these platforms with, you know, not particularly great art or highly derivative art, hundred um, which would be really alienating to buyers. And it would exacerbate the fact that there is a speculative uh, minority, but a large minority, I think, Agreed. in the, the crypto space. And I think this is a part of the culture that is a potential contaminant, you know, speculators. And I think it comes also from... The gatekeepers, I, I think the fact is, you know, Nifty Gateway is a good business in many ways. And, and I, 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 like you, I appreciate all the platforms, but it, it's not an accident that these are, these are tech guys first, right? Right. And, and these are people who are looking, they're entrepreneurs. And, and that's, that's always going to be at odds with, I think, something about the essence of art, right? Which is and that's exactly my point. That's, that's my issue with Nifty Gateway. No, I agree. Um, I think that right if Ethereum goes up, you know, if it triples in value, then presumably the art just did too, right? I, I guess, you know, I guess if the art sold for a third of an Ethereum and it was worth four hundred dollars, and now it's worth, you know, whatever, you know, twelve hundred or whatever. I, that's not accurate, but whatever the numbers may be. Um, but my issue with it is again, you know, it's great. You guys are tech guys, but then who's determining what art comes in and what art does not come in? And even that's fine, but then what's the overall philosophy and who are the people involved in that? Like MoMA has, or, and I'm not saying they should be MoMA, but I am saying that in spaces where people are really working with artists in that, in that way, there are people there who are artist people, you know, who really have the relationships with the whales and with the dolphins and with the, you know, with the artists and all of those folks. 
And so they're able to pull it together. They're able to make it make sense. They're, they have a high cultural IQ. Mm. Um, I wonder how high the cultural IQ is in some of these selections. Um, I wonder if there is a sincerity about pushing forward crypto and digital art as a space or if it's, you know, return for investors, you know, and I agree with you. I think that's the issue that at least I have is that if you're entering this space, art, I don't know, you know, maybe I'm too high, highbrow. Maybe I'm, you know, maybe I'm not getting it, but art to me is, you know, hum, it's human. It's, it's, it's sacred. Um, it's a bit like building churches and, you know, building them badly. You know, it's like, you're building a church, you know, like you should, I don't know. I think you should build it better. Um, and in the same way, if you're in art, um, um, I would like for there to be those different voices. Like, Hey, you know, this art is significant, not because it'll be commercial, but because I think it'll round out the collection that we have here at Nifty Gateway, but maybe that never makes sense. And if it doesn't, then where are those platforms? You know, because I'm sure there are people that want to be there. Like they want to be judged and either, hey, this doesn't work because you need to work harder on your glitch effects <laughs> or whatever. Or, you know, hey, this doesn't work because, um, you know, we have too much of this. But, you know, what kind of responses are they getting back? Are they understanding why they're rejected? Do you think what the space needs, and again, I'm, I'm cribbing from, from my friend Vesa who said, the space needs two things. He says it needs critics who have a who have more depth in their knowledge of art than the last 40 years alone i hadn't thought of that but that's real i forget yeah you're right that's wow and he says he vessa checking out makes a great point um and he says you know their their knowledge of art has to go beyond the last 40 years because he Mm -hmm. says what you see is a lot of ideas that were great but they've been used to death Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. and you see this particularly with i think sort of the uh sardonic kind of like caustically funny sort of stuff but it's, it's like if it's done once or twice fine but after mm-hmm. that it's not a new idea the mm-hmm. second point he made is he said we need a new medici uh from the tech the tech leaders the people who are in crypto who, but the problem is if on the one hand they have the pockets to do it they need to have the knowledge so that they mm-hmm. are giving money to the best artists so that mm-hmm. you know we're going to experience a true creative renaissance and not just throwing money at people who are doing things that are essentially multi-million dollar memes. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. anyone hearing this, I'm not anti-meme. I see part of the potency. And, and to me, one of the reasons NFTs will absolutely take off and, and define, uh, I think, a huge part of art in the next quarter century, at least. I genuinely believe they're going to be part of something like that. It's something to do with the way internet culture has expressed itself through memes. But it doesn't mean the sophistication has to stay there. And I think it's up to the people with the deep pockets to partly shape that conversation, but who are the critics and where's the education coming from without being snobbish and, and going back to the same hindrances that legacy art has suffered from. Mm-hmm. I agree. I, I, well, let's take an example of Meek Mill, uh, the, the, the rapper when he goes to clubhouse. Um, every, oh, I want to learn about crypto. Everyone in crypto shows up. You know, all of the biggest names in crypto. Oh, we'll educate you, Meek Mill. Yeah. You know, we're here for you, Meek. You know, <laughs> how can we teach you? Well, you know, 
okay, that's cool, you know, but I don't know if he's still interested, you know, but that's yeah. great that we brought all that energy there. Soldier Boy was saying the same thing, and Juicy J, I've seen them all on Twitter, you know, saying, yeah. all, and it's like, yeah, I know what you mean. It's, it, it's, it gets energy from a great community, but is it putting it in the right direction? Is, right. is it, is it, is it going to create a virtuous, a virtuous loop and come back into the ecosystem, or is it just driving a speculative cash out sort of you know ultimately a cynical transactional tourist mentality well that's how i felt i was like hey why don't we talk to meek mill after he releases an audio nft mm. yeah you know, are you committed yeah you know we're all committed you know are you you know that old joke my family's all from the carolinas have you ever you've heard the joke of course of the chicken and the the, the pig right oh. Uh, oh yeah so the chicken and the pig they both agreed to have breakfast and the, 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 the chicken says, hey, let's have breakfast and let's both like put in, you know, let, let's both contribute. And the, and, and the pig says, you know, I'll pass because I'm committed, but you're just involved. <laughs> so you're giving eggs, but I'm giving ham. You know, <laughs> there's a big difference. <laughs> So, you know, look, I, I'm, I, you know, Meek Mill or Juicy J, you know, n nothing about those guys in individually or anything, but, you know, they're, they're giving us, you know, they'll give us eggs, but I want people that are putting in ham, you mm -hmm. know, like, I don't like, so in other words, I'd be more interested in talking to someone like Logic mm -hmm. or someone like Lil Yachty. Now that's interesting to me. Now, why did the guy put out a token? What did you see? What do you think about the business? That to me is a little more interesting. And in the same way, if we're going to talk to artists, then talk to Vandal. If you're that excited about talking to a musician in this space, talk to Studio Nouveau. I mean, that guy's work is insane. Like, then he was an artist. He was touring all over Europe. You know, Mighty 33, he was an artist. He was putting out records for 10, 20 years, you know, or whatever. Like, why did those guys move over here? And, and they may not be Meek Mill. I get it. I get you get more clicks. But, you know, are we, to your point, and, and this is the point I'm making, listen, we're early in here. So this is hip hop in the 70s. This is bebop jazz in the 40s, 50s, whatever. I don't know all my dates. Um, we're here and we're actually able to build this architecture so that people don't get cheated every single time they put out an album. Like, that's ridiculous. You know, like, people should get what they earned. I mean, yeah. we can all agree on that. So how do we build that? You know, how do we do that? And I don't think it helps us by having any random celebrity, whether it's Leonardo DiCaprio or Meek Mill or Will Smith, if they're not releasing tokens or they're not really interested, that's fine. You can do that. But, again, I just think that we have enough artists here now who are really interested where we can start to develop our own critics, we can just develop our own culture. And I don't think that, 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 you know what? That's how I could sum all that up. I don't see how that helps us to create a culture. I think that that is us asking other people to acknowledge our culture. And I think that the NFT art culture is there. Like, I just think we need to grow it. And I think that asking Meek Mill or Leonardo DiCaprio, I'll just use that name so it's not a specific person over and over, um, or whoever, to, or Justin Bieber, to please put out a token. 
I, I don't know. I, I don't think it's necessary. I think that they all come here light. Trivializes things. It, it's it self trivializes it. It almost makes us apologetic as a scene. It's like yes. self validate us. Um, so then I think you know one thing you touched on that I actually think I think it is the so far unsung uh, story in the NFT space at mm-hmm. this moment is actually the use of music in F- in, in NFTs and sound mm-hmm. generally. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you've said a hell of a lot about it, but I wondered if you had anything specific to say kind of about NFTs and, and music made for them that you haven't said, because I, I, this was something mm-hmm. I know your wife, you know, she, she got you into this space. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, massive shout out to her. Please make sure you tell us where you can find her music. Yes, um, I definitely. But I mean, what would be your commentary if you have if you've left anything out on sound and music? Yeah, no, I think that because it's tokenized and you can separate each of those tiny little streams so flawlessly, that's going to be the big difference maker. And audio NFTs, more than film or anything, wow, audio NFTs, I mean, I, I just can't think of any direction where it isn't a difference maker. I mean... The contract is on the blockchain. Do you know how many clients I have where the contracts have been lost? Just think about that, man. Imagine how many contracts have been lost. Yeah, there's just no copy of them. So how does your publishing work then? Mm. You know, how does that work if they've lost the contract? Or the company's been sold 20 times. Mm. Or, 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 you know, and audio NFTs solve that kind of stuff. Just the audit thing, you know. So it's such a, and my wife, I-N-N-A, Ina Dominus, the funny story is that she wanted a badass name for women where they weren't apologetic. And so we watched Jurassic Park and the thing is called Indominus Rex. And she said, you know what? I'm going to do a play on that. So she found the most popular word, word for women in the world. The world's popular name is Ina. I didn't know that. It's like one of the five most popular names, Russia, you know, not in the U.S., but around the world, right? Even in China and other places, Ina is very popular. My wife's name is spelled A-I-N-A, Ina. It's the same kind of name, ironically, Egyptian, Swedish, all over the world, for some reason, people have A-I-N-A as a name, China, all over. So she combined the two and she wanted it to be very empowering. And she wanted women to protect their stuff. She wanted women to be like that dinosaur, to like be fierce and strong and not give any of it up and she felt that in the music space that was where she could have the biggest impact because only three percent of women right now in 2021 who are executives in music i'm sorry only three percent of the executives in music are women wow facts and i can send you that so that you can put it under the video uh less than five percent are producers or executives why and there are so many women who perform and make music But none in decision making. Many, many more in film than in music. But you, when you think about how sexist music is, it does kind mm. of. It's really tough. I mean, it's like there are no. Here's a better one. In the U.S., uh, in publishing, forget it, in publishing, newspapers, magazines. I think less than ten percent or fifteen percent of the editors, photo, whatever, in publishing are women period end of story i'll find the stats and send it to you it's insane do you think i mean is this and i'm getting off topic and and not black women or latino women or 
nothing. Not like no, I mean, women, women, just women. Do you think, and this is such an obvious question, but do you think it's yeah. to do with women tapping out because they become mothers? And this is kind of the historical, like this. this it's is impossible. You're so right. I mean, touring, yeah, touring as a mom, right there. Um, festivals, bathrooms. Um, I mean, as a guy, we just don't think about it. I mean, no. hell, what? and other people that go through nervous what we think, I don't want to say she went through a nervous breakdown, but she clearly went through a lot of mental struggles and issues. And a lot of women do um, great documentary that was just on Netflix about a woman, this fierce, strong, amazing woman in the seventies, same thing. They just, they just really beat them up. Mariah Carey, if you remember, yeah, absolutely. Remember. Yeah, she... Went away from mental issues. Absolutely. A lot of them break down, man. They break down and it's not because they're weak it's not because they're stupid or silly or anything. It's just, it, 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 it's just the constant mental, like my wife has a whole family and, you know, and all of us are behind her. And sometimes she's like, you know, do people like my work? Do you think they really respect it? You know, because th the self-doubt comes in because there's so little validation. Yeah. And um, that I think in the audio NFT space, if we can get like my wife's goal is to get that to 10%. If I can do that specifically, then I know I dented the universe. And that sounds so bad. You mean audio NFTs are what, 10% of, of all music? Uh, no, women being in 10% of leadership. Got so it. I know it's not going to happen in that old paradigm. It's not. They're never, it's never. I'm, it, it's just not. Me too, whatever. Also, We've heard all these stories. Never going to happen. Like in order to get anywhere, I think, like you know, my experiences in London with the people I've met casually who are in record labels is that is they are kind of the old guard work right. model of having that's right into the industry from the bottom in the mail room and they just stuck with it like people who've started out at like major mm -hmm. ad agencies but you know it, that's not that's an outdated work model as well so all over and her goal is to build it here in the new paradigm She's not even thinking about that. I mean, her music's on Spotify and stuff. And if you go to like Ina Dominus on Twitter or whatever, or I-N-N-A-D-O-M-I, -N 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 -N, and if you don't know how to spell, just add the Ina to the Indominus Rex. <laughs> but, but, uh, but, um, but it's a badass name. I love that name. It is. And, um, um, and, uh, but, but to that point, um, no, we want to increase in this new paradigm and this paradigmatic shift we want at least, I would love it was 50-50, but if we can carve out 10% of the space for women, then we will have tripled it or doubled it from what it was in the old model. Mm. Like if we could get to 20, that would be insane. But if we could get to 10 in whatever this new space is, wow, like that would be, a, isn't that sad? But I mean, you got to set a goal. I mean, that's, Ooh. What's interesting, and I'm mindful of your time here, is, is yeah, no. But what I would say is, um, clever freeze. And one of the central ideas that we put early on was, if you're looking at acquisitions by museums, it's like two percent. You know, what I'm talking about African American. Mm -hmm, yeah, yeah, sure. You think you know how small that is, and and it's is that is there that is there a an agenda against minorities? I don't think so in the arts community. I think mm -hmm. the arts community is, is notoriously broad-minded. Whatever the cynical insider's perspectives are, it's mm -hmm. you know, in many ways very inclusive. But I think there's, there's a failure systemically. And I'm hoping that when we're in a double-blind position where you know, artists and, and buyers know, you know there's no intermediary 
and they don't know anything about each other about the, except the quality of the work, ideally, mm. then we can start to really see a meritocracy. And I, I think NFTs, you know, needless to say to me, are the, they're that solution. They're very promising. Um, and I think they could even withstand the influence of big money, mm -hmm. provided, you know, things shape up in a healthy way. And, and well, I, and I, I think to that point, like one of the great defenders of African-American art in this space, one off, uh, those guys are doing a great job, and uh, Lady Phoenix. And I think that you're right. I think that she creates great conversations between whales and um, people who identify as LGBTQ and uh, black people and Latinos. And, you know, I think that you need those super connectors. Yes, yes, that's exactly. Who have, her cultural IQ, in my opinion, is the highest in this space. And not because she's a client, like seriously. Lady Phoenix. And L Lady Phoenix is the highest in this space because she can talk to an artist who's a street photographer who is from... Philadelphia and then immediately talk to a deep pocketed whale in Singapore. You know, that is what you need to connect the dots in this space. Um, people like that. Um, and there are a few other people like Vandal is one of those uh, from Dow records. Uh, they're the guy from one off. He does a good job. Uh, some people are those connectors. And I think those people are going to connect all of it together but I think without that, people are going to misunderstand each other and then the walls come up. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And that's where I think the misunderstandings begin. So the clever free question always is, what's something you believe? Okay. Um, I believe that the most important thing in the world is to design the world better every day and to reduce human suffering, like in any way that you can, anywhere that you are. So if I can reduce human suffering in any chance that I, any time, I'll always do that. And then that's my belief. That's beautiful. So then, oh, thank you. <laughs> well, absolutely. It's my, it's my faith. Well, not my faith. I'm sorry. It's my belief system, which is Buddhism. Yeah. So, well, then I guess the other question is who in the space or what in the space are you excited about? Or do you think we should keep an eye on? Um, audio NFTs, audio reactive NFTs, which were kind of coined by Lady Phoenix. She's really brilliant. Um, again, for artists, look for the Coldy method. Um, that auction style is super brilliant. Um, you're going to get more money, and uh, that's smart. Um, I think uh, there's this amazing store that was created by Mighty33 and Crypto Voxels. And um, you should look for that because that's really cool. He created like an old school record store oh, in wow. crypto voxels. And I'll send you the link. It's so yeah, good. Yeah. Um, um, let's see who that's it. I think that's it. I think, yeah, that basically I, and, and also I think keeping an eye for artists, please educate yourself about the difference between ownership and royalty payments. That's going to be the difference between whether your kids are, you know, I don't know, inheriting a lot of money or whether they're <laughs> on the unemployment line. And That's going to make a big difference for future generations. And headlines on that for anyone who's like, mm -hmm. remind me again, is you may well own it, but you may have sold contractually in advance or in some way the royalties in perpetuity. So the, the easy That's right. 
is Paul McCartney back in like the 80s famously said to his very good friend at the time, Michael Jackson, he said, <laughs> you really want to make monies, my dude? Mm -hmm. What you mm -hmm. do is you own royalties. And Michael right. literally went behind his back and bought the royalties to Paul McCartney's songs. And so Paul That's right. McCartney, on his own advice, had to pay MJ to perform his own songs. And That's right. That's right. Yeah. And the great thing about that story is when he bought all of it, he gave the rights, which no one ever talks about, back to Sammy Davis Jr. Michael Jackson gave him all of his publishing back because he took all of the moves of Sammy Davis Jr. And I don't know if that was the only reason, but he gave him all of his publishing back. And that publishing catalog became ATV, which is now Sony ATV. And that's why he said that Sony are the devils and they're demons. That's that Michael Jackson clip, look for it. That's because Sony... Uh, as brilliant as he was after he died sony got all the publishing so remember these guys are smarty pants they're gonna beat you you've got to be smart you've got to be super smart because at the end of the day sony won they got the publishing that's a great way to end that one no but it's useful man i mean if that, if that could change people's lives then that'd be great well look man you've been an absolute legend to have on Thank you, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you for thinking of me. That was so kind of you. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. And also, please, my wife, Ina Dominus, uh, I-N-N-A-D-O-M-I-N-U-S. Yep, Give a shout it. out to her. Well, yes, thank uh, you. People can find you on Twitter as well. That's right. Yep. Uh, Chris Moy underscore ESQ. Yep. I forgot about myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you.